Welcome to Cordell and Cordell's Men's Divorce Podcast, moderated by managing partner and CEO Scott Trout, bringing you information for guys before, during, and after divorce, and everything related to family law. This podcast is not to be taken as legal advice, and no attorney-client relationship is established. Well, welcome back to the Men's Divorce Podcast. I'm Scott Trout, CEO and Managing Partner. And in your case, whether it's a divorce or modification or anything related to family law, you're probably thinking I made a mistake and you probably have. Well, you've watched our 10 stupidest mistakes, but if by chance you haven't, you need to go watch it. You can catch it on our podcast or on YouTube or at CordellCordell.com. And today is no different. It's an extension of our 10 stupidest mistakes. It's more common mistakes every guy has made or your friend has made or you've heard about it. So we're joined by Christina out in Phoenix or in Scottsdale. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you, Scott, for having me. Well, today, let's talk about it. Let's just jump right into it. Every guy's made mistakes. We know it. And, you know, the the best part of Cordell and Cordell is having offices around the country with almost 300 lawyers. We can accumulate all these mistakes and share them and try to avoid them. And the first one I want to you know, have you talk about is not raising issues or allegations or assertions about your spouse, right? Yes, Scott. This is actually a very common mistake I see um, men make. And part of the reason I think they make this mistake is because they're hoping that they can settle the matter or they're hoping that they can reconcile. Unfortunately, it's not something that you want to hold off on making certain assertions, especially if the assertions have to do with um, any allegations of abuse, um, alcohol usage, or drug usage. Um, in Arizona, specifically where I work out of, um, if you don't make those assertions in the beginning and you try to make those claims later on when you realize you're not reconciling or that you're not going to be able to settle the matter, the courts usually look at that as you are making it up, that they're not as serious as they are. And so you're pretty much precluded from making those assertions later on. And it's best to always make it at the beginning. It's about timing. I know that I get it. You know, you raise it later and it looks like it's punitive or responsive to something and it does lose credibility. I get it. And it is about strategy. I've talked a lot about having a consultation with an attorney. Maybe you're not ready to file, but it's talk about what you're going to talk, you know, raise what allegations, the timing, whether it's appropriate, what does it do to settlement talks? That is huge. And if you don't raise it, you forever lose it. I mean, I've had guys come back on a modification and say, well, she's a drunk and she was always a drunk. And I want to talk about that now. And I'm like, well, is this subsequent to the divorce? Well, no, she was drinking during the marriage. Like it's gone. It's over. You know, you can't use it. So which brings up, I mean, we talk about allegations, uh, whether it's the spouse or the kids uh, experts, that's a huge one. I've talked a lot about it. I recommend to clients a lot. Look, here's the deal. Here's how much this is going to cost is what you do. But not considering experts is a big mistake, right? It is. It actually is a very huge mistake. And sometimes I find that men don't want to get an expert or they want to wait for the other party to get an expert. And then by the time we get the expert, it's too late or it actually can drag out the trial or the litigation. And so if you don't get an expert right away and then decide to get it later on, again, it can cause delays in your trial. Um, I'm experiencing it now with several of my cases and we are now gonna have to continue the trial. So we're already eight months into a case and now we're gonna have to continue and we'll probably be another additional six to eight months yeah. going forward. So it's and really I, important that you um, get the expert right away. 
And I can't imagine there are certain cases where I told a client, you know, you have to have one. If you want the best chance of success, whether it's a defeating a maintenance claim or trying to prov- you know provide evidence that, that your spouse is capable of working and earning a wage, it can't be a he said, she said. I mean, that is I mean, these are in no particular order. But that's a big one. If you don't consider an expert and I know it's a lot of money out there. But the point is, is that you hire a lawyer, you pay good lawyer fees. Let's put you in the right position. I mean, it's just huge. So I think you're spot on when you talk about not considering experts. When we talk about uh, court orders now in Missouri or in St. Louis County, where uh, my office is, uh, we have local orders where, you know, as soon as something's filed, you have this laundry list of things that you can't do and that you should do. So it's a big mistake to not follow those local orders, right? It is, it is, Scott. And a lot of times too, I mean, we have the same thing here in Arizona, preliminary injunctions, um, for instance, that will preclude you from being able to sell assets or things of that nature in a community property state. And everything is considered community and I'll have clients who don't read the preliminary injunction. um, And then they go out and they start selling things. And that actually is not good. It looks like you're not willing to follow court orders. Or there are times when the court will order you to do extras, like take a psychological evaluation or to do a drug test. And if you don't do those things and if you don't do them timely, um, that can also create negative effects to your your case because it appears as if you're not following a court order. And that's one thing that the court looks at is, can you follow court orders? Mm -hmm. If you even can't follow the most simple order, they don't, they don't trust that you're going to be able to follow the final orders if you have to go to trial and they have to make orders as it relates to parenting time, legal decision making, things of that nature. So it's a very important that you pay attention to all of the orders, the ones that are automatically put into place or any orders that are subsequently given to you throughout the litigation. Yeah, I mean, you know, one one of the elements in our custody statutes is the likelihood of a parent to provide the other with a court order visitation. I mean, so it is, it's courts are looking to, you know, are you going to respect the order? And you don't have to necessarily live by it if you both agree. But the point is, is show your willingness, your ability to comply. That is massive, especially when you represent guys. So drug and alcohol, that's a mistake. Anything involving that, but especially testing. Yes. When it comes to testing, you want to make sure that you pay attention to when you have to go to the testing center, which testing center you're going to. You want to make sure that you don't actually drink too much liquid because sometimes that can appear as if it's being diluted. So you want to make sure that you don't miss the exam and you don't drink too much liquid that it appears diluted because anytime you do that, it actually becomes basically a positive drug test. Um, because it appears as if you're trying to, if you miss a test and don't go there timely, it appears as if you're trying to evade the test. Um, or if you drink too much liquid and it becomes diluted, it appears again that you were trying to make it appear like you were negative. Um, so therefore they just automatically assume it's all, uh, positive. The other thing is, is if you've been ordered to do a hair follicle, do not shave your head, do not <laughs> shave your body hair. <laughs> it's extremely important. They will try to find a way to do a hair follicle test, which means that they may go to very sensitive areas. So you wanna make sure that you don't shave your head or shave your body hair. Um, You wanna make sure that you're able to take that exam because again, Mm -hmm. it appears as if you're doing anything to try to evade the exam, they're just gonna assume that it would be possible. Yeah, but I'm a swimmer. This is why I shave everything off, right? You know, I had a client one time tell me, but it's just weed. 
you know, he was being tested for cocaine, but then he tested positive for marijuana. I'm like, it, it doesn't matter. Look, at this point, they're looking for all drugs. So take it seriously. I mean, that is, it's a big one. I mean, that's the one that'll make or break your case, no doubt. Um, clients that come in and they don't, or they automatically think without question, my case is going to settle and they treat their case without the seriousness of it, right? If I had a dollar, actually, if I had a penny mm-hmm. for every time I hear that, that is almost every single consultation. Oh, we're amicable. It's amicable. We're going to be able to settle. And the problem with that is that most likely you're not. Very rarely do you actually settle the matter, especially if at first she doesn't have counsel and then she goes and gets counsel. Because usually once she gets counsel, usually it becomes contentious. So it's really important that although it's we hope and we pray and we, of course, try hard to settle a matter. I know in Arizona and New Mexico, where I'm licensed in both states, they have things in place that help us to try to settle. But you always want to focus and really pay attention and really focus on the of potentially going to trial and really do all litigation or all of the strategies should be based on as if you're going to trial, because as you're doing your disclosure and discovery, that and preparing for trial will actually help you settle the matter in the end if you're going to be able to settle. Yeah, totally. And trying to get to settlement means use the things that are available to you, like discovery. We use that word and a lot of people don't understand what that is, but the discovery tools are just getting information, asking questions and getting answers. So if you want to get it to settlement or get it ready for trial, use those discovery tools, right? Yes, exactly. I know one of the tools that that is not commonly used in Arizona, but I like to use because I feel that it does help in foster settlement are depositions. Um, It's not really common here in Arizona, but uh, when you do them, they're very useful. But I find clients are hesitant to do them um, because of the fact that they're not done normally, um, or I shouldn't say normally, but not common here in Arizona. Um, But I believe that they are a very effective tool and I believe they're very effective to actually foster settlement. I've actually have been able to actually settle a case at a deposition mm-hmm. and end up putting the actual settlement on the record as I'm doing the deposition. Yeah. Because once I started asking questions and things came out that maybe weren't known by opposing counsel, it kind of helped foster that, oh, wait, maybe we do need to settle this matter. And then we were able to actually use that time to settle the matter and put it on the record, which made it binding that day. Yeah. So um, so there are tools like, like a deposition that I think are useful. Admissions are one that I don't see commonly used in Arizona as well, but that I think are very highly effective and that I think should be used more often than they are. It's true. Uh, it, you know, it's so interesting, the, the differences in states where I won't have a case, period, in divorce, uh, that I won't do a deposition, unless it's obviously settled and we're moving towards that very, very early. But if there is a, it's not going to resolve Every single one of my cases has a deposition. It's just because it does. Is it for me? It's information gathering, but it does provide an opportunity to maybe use that to force them into a settlement. That's why you bring up misconduct and all those things. And do they really want to play that out in front of a judge? And and do they really want to go to trial and have that you know cross examined? It's embarrassing and it's a strategic tool. I think you're really. It's a good point, and kind of aligned with not following court orders is not following through on disclosure. We have a mandatory document exchange here in Missouri and not doing that can be detrimental. 
Yes. And in Arizona, we too have a mandatory disclosure rules. I find a lot of times it goes hand in hand with the cases where the party thinks they're going to settle. So they think, oh, well, I don't need to disclose that information or, I, or I'm just going to disclose what, what, what I only have access to. And the reality is you need to disclose that information and actually helps foster settlement when you, when you try not to disclose things or you fail to disclose things. It appears that you're hiding things, which will then not foster settlement. Also, it doesn't matter which party has access to the documents. If, if both parties should have access to the documents, you must exchange that. So sometimes you yeah. are actually, both parties are exchanging the same documents, but unfortunately that's what the rules require. And you wanna make sure you do that. You wanna make sure that you actually give those documents to your attorney right up front. I usually, before I meet with my clients for the first time, send them a document that tells them the documents I need. It's mm -hmm. really important when you get that list of documents to get that to your attorney right away so they can make sure that you are disclosing everything that's mandatory. Because if you don't, there's a lot of cost in the litigation because opposing counsel is going to then start sending emails requesting all that information and you have to provide it. So there's no yeah. use fighting it. So you should yep. just make sure that you disclose it and that you pay attention to what your attorney and the paralegals are asking for to make sure that you do get that timely disclosed. And to kind of wrap out the eight um, common mistakes, and this was a tough one um, because it's either consider or follow your attorney's advice. Because I say that both, because obviously it's like a, a doctor who makes a recommendation to you. Um, but you, you know, the point is, is put your trust in the people that know best how to position you either to get healed from a malady, if I'm a doctor, or um, your attorney trying to get you property or custody. It's not following you know, the advice of your attorney and doing just the opposite, which completely damages your case, right? Right. That is actually, it's something that for me it can be very frustrating is that you, you spend a lot of time speaking to your client, giving them the advice and you're, you know, you've been practicing for a long time as an attorney and you're giving them the advice based off of your own experience, whether it's with the judge or with opposing counsel or just with the situation in general. And then they choose not to take that advice. Sometimes it is just a suggestion or it's just like, let's talk about this. But sometimes the advice I give um, is something that I'm very serious about. Like you must take this drug test by 5 p.m. tonight. If you don't, you know, sometimes if you don't follow that advice, it has very serious detrimental consequences to your case. And so you need to make sure you understand when it's advice that you really need to follow and when it's advice like, well, we can do this or that. Um, I know in Arizona, at least, you know, when it comes to the control over the strategy of the case and things of that nature that is in my hands. And so you do have to trust the attorney and make sure you have that trust because that's in my hands and that's something that I should have control over. And you as the client, your control is gonna be with regards to settlement. I'm gonna give you advice or thoughts on how to go about the settlement and that's ultimately up to you. But when yeah. it comes to strategy, that's ultimately up to the attorney. And when you have an attorney that's been practicing for a long time, you should be able to trust them because sometimes it can have detrimental consequences. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important that you do take their advice serious. Use the right word, trust. Uh, I always talk about when you select a family law lawyer, well, obviously one that practices exclusively in family law, you consider it like uh, a doctor where, you know, your their life, your life is in their hands. And uh, that relationship I, I talk about in the 10 stupidest mistakes, doctor versus lawyer. And it's a very different dynamic. And we should treat that relationship 
with lawyer or client as doctor patient. So great use of the word trust. I think it's spot on, especially when you consider following the advice of your attorney. So thanks for joining. Great eight common mistakes guys make in divorce or modification or in all issues in family law. Thanks for joining today. Thank you for having me. Well, tune in uh, for our podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, you want to be alerted every time we drop it here at Cordell and Cordell on men's divorce. So check us out. You can subscribe to the podcast, go to our website, CordellCordell.com. Check out all of our podcasts as well as our virtual town halls on our YouTube page, where we're loaded with information for you to uh, go through and find a topic that affects you or interests you. If you want a consultation, you can give us a call at 866-DADS-LAW. You can do it via Zoom, WebEx, virtually, on the phone, in person, uh, whatever's most convenient and comfortable for you. We have offices around the country, including the United Kingdom. So until next time, have a great week.